Lately, the words of a prophet have been echoing in my head. There's no place like home. With your family around you, you're never alone. When you know that you're loved, you don't need to roam. Because there's no place like home. I mean no place, child. That prophet, of course, is Marla Gibbs, star of the beloved sitcom Tutu Seven. And after nine weeks inside our homes and apartments, well, it feels like we're living a sitcom life, doesn't it? We just go from one room to the other, mostly wearing variations of the same few items of clothing. Me and my sleeveless linen turtleneck, and you and whatever you're wearing. We have the same reliable, frustrating interactions with the same cast of characters, our storylines growing ever more tedious. Oh, how I long for a guest star. And you see some families adding a dog or a cat to make things a little more interesting. In some extreme cases, and with what I imagine was careful planning, some folks just went for it and added a child, a cousin Oliver, inserted just to give them something different to talk about. Well, God has blessed you if you've gone down that path. Sometimes we try for a very special episode of quarantine here in the deep night. We talk about our feelings, which are awful, or we break a vase and cover it up. <laughs> or we do a rare remote shoot. We go on location. Well, Galinda and I went for a drive this weekend just to safely and from a distance pick up a refurbished Reiki table from a gal upstate, and I had that same uneasy feeling as I did watching the Fonz in Hawaii or the kids from Glee wander around Los Angeles. Even though we know they've been in L.A. this whole time and not Lima, Ohio. The light is weird. The sound is different. How quickly we scurried back to our apartment, our own couch, our own dishes, our set, where things are familiar. Like all of us, we're stuck in a reliable, if boring, late-season sitcom of our own design. And with Sweep Sweep coming up, I'm running out of ideas. But we can try. We can change the channel a little bit for a little while. While the rest of the world is asleep, we can hop into a weird space car and fly to a rocky space port like that in the opening credits of the Great Space Coaster to a place and a program we call The Deep Night. Oh, friends. Hello, it's me, Dale Shiva, and I'm so honored to be your host, guide, and guru for this next hour of Regrets and Revelations. Welcome to this, the deep night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and folks that live near the Gowanus are pretty much experts in social distancing anyhow. It's uh, why we ended up living near a toxic Superfund site. We prefer to be left alone, very alone. Now, it strikes me that some of you, certainly the younger set, may not remember the Great Space Coaster that I mentioned in our cold open. Incidentally, I've been doing a lot of YouTube diving and vintage TV watching to pass the hours. But you should look this one up. It had a charming, quasi-educational kind of Muppet Show Sid and Marty Croft vibe to it. It wasn't on PBS, but it could have been. And as I recall, it was on early in the morning in Philadelphia where I grew up when the grass was still wet with dew or icy with frost in those preschool hours. I'd have to eat some oatmeal or cereal and splash a little bit of water on my face in a kind of birdbath shower, then get out and wait for the bus. And I'd stand there by the mailbox as the cars whizzed past, kicking up little clouds of exhaust and dust and tiny bits of gravel that pelted my face. It was one of those shows that I'd watch with my mother, if she hadn't already switched over to the 
to the Today Show. And usually it was Star Blazers and the Great Space Coaster back-to-back. That's what we like to watch. If I'm correct, Star Blazers began with everyone on Earth having to move underground due to some kind of uh, calamity. Then a few of them got the heck out, and they went cruising to meet a princess who maybe had a cure or something. Hurry. You must reach Iskandar in time to save your dear planet Earth. Uh, If I could go into space with a crusty space captain who dressed like an old-timey sailor, I'm not sure what that was about, and a groovy, round medical robot riding in a ship that had an all-powerful cannon but catching the eye of an evil alien race all to get a cure, what I'm saying is wear a mask. You could be asked to do a lot more. Really, not a big deal wearing the mask. (sighs) I do miss those mornings, though. I do. I do. I guess I also miss space sagas. Things are happening in space. But this mask thing, let's just talk about this. Because as long as we're talking about childhoods, I don't understand the resistance to this. When I was like 8 through, I don't know, 15, all anyone wanted to be was a ninja. Was there anything cooler than a ninja? And I assume it was probably culturally uh, a little problematic, uh, that kind of appropriation, but there were a lot of white teen ninjas in my neighborhood. And before that, you had the Lone Ranger. He was all about the mask, and lots of cool, weird, white kid energy was put into characters wearing masks. Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow. Okay, they're both ninjas. Uh, We're not going to talk about Quick Kick, a martial artist in the G.I. Joe roster who wore no shoes or a shirt. Things got kind of off the rails there once they introduced the half-snake, half-man Serpentor. I digress. <sighs> and tell me there's not some thrill for the anonymous Internet troll to wear a mask. Isn't that like your whole deal or something? I mean, anonymous itself with those V for Vendetta Guy Fox masks, Mortal Kombat. There's a lot of really angry dude stuff you could just embrace instead of, uh, you know, uh, making it uh, such a, a big deal, some kind of fight for freedom. Get a bow staff and kind of hop around your backyard like we used to. Try a tightrope. Just please, we can go back to crystals and yoni eggs later, but for now, trust in science. Wear a mask if you're outside. Oh, my God, find a sense of joy in helping us all stay safe and avoiding a deadly virus. All that Greatest Generation stuff was about shared sacrifice, was it not? Oh, Dale, get on with it. I came here to tune all that stuff out. (laughs) I'm a good and decent citizen doing what I must. You know what? You're right. I know my listeners, and I know that everyone tuning into this show is already wearing a mask. It's hard to admit you're listening to it anyhow, so best to keep your identity a secret. Oh, brother. What the Mayans must be thinking, right? Like, we screwed up the math there. That's all that happened. We read some tablets wrong. <laughs> That's all. They were on to it. They got it. Imagine getting the prediction for the end of the world correct just off by eight years. I mean, we use a different method of counting, so I'd say pretty good. And what I wasn't expecting was that the end of the world would be so beautiful. I mean, it's a lovely spring day every day, and things are just crumbling around us. I hope that when aliens receive this audio transmission, this episode, when those uh, on Gorp 7 or the moons of Ornacha finally make it all the way to season 12 of Deep Night with Dale, uh, and I hope they listen from the beginning, that they understand just how pleasant the end of our time on Earth has been. I'd like to say we left it better than we found it, but other than putting elastic in pants and maybe the Honeycrisp apple, I'm not sure we improved on anything, really. Amazing to think that this whole time it was the virus's planet, and we were just visiting. I bet they weren't expecting that either. Success is a funny thing, which is why I want nothing to do with it. 
And I need to start thinking about something other than the situation we're in. Every morning is the same. I listen to NPR, national news, then local, and then it segues into a curious and random mix of story highlights. Inevitably, there's a story about a restaurant worker cooking meals at a school, or people adopting dogs, or healthcare folks rushing into hot zones, and sometimes it's a big story, sometimes it's small. Today it was about all the migrating birds that are smashing into glass skyscrapers in Manhattan and plummeting to their deaths on the sidewalk, where an elderly woman scoops them up and takes them to the bird rescue facility. And that's the thing where I end up with a tear in my eye. And as soon as those tears start to well up, that's when I know it's time. Time to put the radio away and get on to the rest of my business. Finish my coffee, I'll say. Now, sometimes I'll take a walk, and while I get nervous going out, once I'm out, I'm thrilled to be in the fresh air. My legs feel different because they're actually supporting my weight and moving around across, not great distances, but distances. And then I'll pass a florist with wilted flowers in the window or the Thai place that I used to love or the dance studio where Kid Pepsi used to go and take classes and I weep all over again for that which is lost or gone or an experience that may never be again. And so I have to get back to the house and lie down on the ground or roll myself up in a yoga mat for an hour behind the couch. Recognizing that our human form may no longer be required sooner rather than later. I mean, the way I see it, we only have a few options. Upload our consciousness onto gold microchips and blast them into space. Duplicate our brain waves and splice them into climate-resistant plant life, the seeds for which are probably held in a vault deep beneath the surface. Or build a supercomputer to house all of humanity's knowledge, maybe in the shape of a big obelisk or something. Or we could all astral project our inner souls into the realm beyond. That last one we should probably do no matter what, so we can kind of keep an eye on what's happening with all the physical stuff. Because have you been in a microchip factory lately? It's not inspiring a lot of confidence. And that's, you know, pre-pandemic. No thank you. No thank you. So uh, that's what I've been practicing, this astral projection. And I encourage you to try something like this, too. And let's say we get through this. We get a plan together. We can all go to CVS and get a shot of anti-corona, and we build a, a more just, secure, responsible society. It's still a good idea to prepare your entire self for a new age. So as long as you're here, and Glenn and I are both doing this, so you can join uh, in with at least two others, uh, let's do an exercise together. And if you find ways to improve upon it or have some tweaks you'd like to add, well, Feel free. Send me your thoughts. I'd be happy to incorporate them into our decoupling from the physical world routine. First, get comfortable. Wear a different pair of loose trousers for this or no trousers. That's up to you. But this should not feel like a Zoom call for work. This should feel special. I always keep a pants at the bottom of my drawer for occasions, for meditation retreats, or when I just happen to be lingering in the same hotel as Gwyneth Paltrow's goop meetings and when FaceTiming Galinda's family. Luckily, that doesn't happen too often as they rarely speak. But what we want to do is get in touch with and activate our inner spirit. If you don't tend to this, it could just liquefy like the sands in the marina of San Francisco beneath the Safeway, or when an assassin bug inserts its deadly proboscis into its prey. And that kind of squishy interior is great for gum-filled with bursts of Dr. Pepper gel, but it's not great for building a new post-pandemic utopian society. You're following me, I hope. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a few steps here, but it's probably clear that by now you are sitting in the middle of a flaming circle surrounded by sand mandalas and torn photographs of all who have wronged you. If you've built a wicker person, 
and I encourage that you do, now is the time to submerge it in a ritual bath of lighter fluid and rosemary. If you haven't struck the gong, go do that now. Normally, we would assign gong partners at the beginning, but with the virus, you'll just have to strike it yourself. Now, if you want to time this so that the gong happens at the exact moment that all your neighbors are clapping for the first responders and healthcare workers, well, that's a nice idea. I support that plan. They don't need to know the true purpose of the gong. And that is uh, to shake your spirit self free from your physical form the same way a rock hound or a nefarious gem salesman would strike a rock in hopes of revealing a crystalline geode. Have you ever considered your body to be a giant geode, all rough and bumpy on the outside with new moles hanging off here and there, things you were sure weren't there before quarantine? You hate that you can't scrub the word skin tag out of your brain, but also are too shy to have a telemedicine event with your dermatologist, even if you know in your heart that she's seen worse, and you wonder what it must be like to choose looking at skin disease and malformed bodies all day, every day. Perhaps telemedicine is a blessing, Although I doubt it. So yes, your rough, unlotioned body is like a rock. A gray, not seen sunlight in weeks rock. And not a fancy rock on the outside. Just plain, not a lightweight lava rock with all of its pores open to the wind and rain. Not scratchy to the touch. Not overly smooth, either. If a child were to lift you, and that's a big ask, but if they were stout and full of vigor and wore husky-sized trousers and attempted to lift and skip your form across a calm lake nestled between two mountains, let's say in the Poconos, perhaps in the shade of the Mount Airy Lodge, where I once lost a favorite money clip dancing beneath the multicolored lights at a teen disco night. Yes, if you were to be thrown sideways across that lake, your bulbous form would surely sink as soon as it hit the water causing a great splash to erupt, scaring the bullfrogs, the newts, and the sunfish below. Any perch in the area would promptly relocate to the far end of the lake and hurry its children to safety of the tall reeds where the boats can't go. And I fear that your rock body would be too big to be fully submerged. It would just land there in the muddy shallows, half above the surface, half below a new obstacle for weekend fishermen who cast their lines from the nearby dock, eventually becoming covered with a slippery, slimy moss, so that even the most adventurous kids, the ones that live in the A-frame, would learn that it wasn't safe to crawl in your body and jump back off into the cool, lapping waves in June and July when they are there visiting. Left on land, you would make a poor shelter. Too round, too uneven, too misshapen for a proper lean-to. Bugs and small rodents might flit about your base, but you provide no adequate shelter from rain or snow. Your shade is poor, except for one hour each day when the sun creeps over your shoulder bulge. So, what role do you play? Perhaps none, and that's okay for now. It's perfectly okay to be your normal, unhelpful, unremarkable lump on a nondescript hillside. But a transformation is possible. Right now, you can be content to look at the growth of leaves, the furious darting of squirrels from branch to branch, the mother crow who collects snapple caps and cigarette butts. You do wonder about her in a past life. Perhaps you held the door for her at a gas station near Albuquerque. The way she cocks her head is the same, and for a minute she thinks she sees something more in the rock than she flies away back over the pines near the squat gray house that has no cars, just ATVs outside. Looking at nature can be healing. But then you remember that one time you were on a group camping trip and the adult counselor convinced everyone to go 
on a snipe hunt. You all went out in the dark, kicking stones in the dirt with your sneakers, acting up, screaming at any little movement in the tangles of poison ivy and blackberry bushes that lined the road and curled up around the cables that held the electrical poles in place. And how exciting it was to capture a snipe, held aloft in a paper sack. No one could see it. We'd scare it. Quick, close the bag before you got a good look. And that feeling in the morning when the bag was ripped and the prized animal that in your mind looked like a silky white ferret had slipped away in the night. And then the feeling of betrayal when you found out the truth, that there was no snipe, that we'd been played for fools. Perhaps this counselor, this grown-up, this person who was supposed to be looking out for you and providing guidance and being a role model, this person who had been exposed as a liar, perhaps there in one of the photos that you've lined up around your fire circle... I certainly wouldn't blame you for including him. So enjoy nature, appreciate it. Try not to feel betrayed by it or those participating in it. Let the strong winds of spring caress you and take the pollen high into the air as a rock. You don't have much choice. Now, as we are fully centered, let's take a long sip of our medicine, our plant medicine. Now, uh, my ayahuasca is on back order, along with disinfectant wipes and a doohickey I need for better live streaming. So instead, I'll be drinking from something that was delivered to me by mistake and in uh, an obscene quantity, Diet Dr. Pepper. But I have it on good authority that this has some of the same purgatory properties and benefits of ayahuasca. Uh, So, yes, sit Drink, smell the smoke from your fire circle, contemplate your gray rock body, isolated, alone. The world moves around you, time in all directions pulsating outward from your center. If you get an errant thought, let it in and then let it out. Should I have gotten a haircut before quarantine? Yes. Will I look like an ancient wizard when we're done? Well, then it will have all been worth it. And then back to you and your body. Feel the floor holding you in place, the earth beneath the floorboards, holding the building you're in up. The spinning of the earth's core or magnets or something, keeping us all on earth as we spin and soar through the cosmos, I guess, in some direction. I saw that Hayden Planetarium thing twice, and I'm still confused what direction we're going as a galaxy. But... I want you to focus, I want you to imagine tiny cracks in your rocky surface like that lava and magma, the weird energy that is your life force. Let it push through to the surface, little revelatory volcanoes that reshape and reform your outside. You're glowing and hot, not just in a menopausal way, but in a spiritual way, and you feel things starting to break, small flat bits just sloughing off, crackling and dissolving and shearing away. You are Half Dome, you are Mount St. Helens, you are Pompeii. And inside, as a fault line opens you up top to bottom, again, not in a painful way, but in a I'm-having-a-real-moment-here way, your white-hot crystal self or black hot or a brown hot crystal it's not important here people can be purple if you want it to be although purple's kind of uh, 
a color that says, I'm unusual, when really it's just obvious. So maybe green, maybe a greenish blue. The point is your insides are radiant and sharp and so much more interesting now for having gone through this chrysalis, a crystal, this. And like that geode, we can see all the sparkly little bits that you've kept hidden. This is you for the post-pandemic. You bring new gifts, new perspectives, and new talents into the world. This is the new path I want you to hold in your mind's eye as we move ahead. Let the new geode you replace the old rock you. We no longer have to accept things as they used to be because this is a new era. What will this new era look like, feel like? Belts are done. Long hair? Not likely. Shaved heads, jumpsuits, fun everyday masks. Goodbye open concept living. In my next home, I want only doors. Mandatory shutdowns to clean the air and uh, equality and justice. That should also be on the table. What else can we be? Now, we don't all need to do an elaborate fire ritual to achieve a new reality. Maybe we can coach things along in small ways. Maybe a dance party on Zoom is more your thing. Maybe gardening. But if you're somewhere now thinking that you are unmoving and unchanged and in a constant rerun of emotions, fear, grief, and discouragement, maybe, maybe find a place deep inside where you can grow a crystal or hold a spark of renewal. That's what I plan on doing. I mean, I'm going to do the whole fire break through my outer meaningless rock shell thing, but uh, there's no one way to get through this. Clearly, there's no plan from anyone, so let's make our own plans. No, I feel a little better already thinking about you thinking about the future. I know you're capable of great things. And I didn't set out to make this a helpful episode, but here we are. I really just wanted to break from a remote interview audio. It was driving me crazy. But I think we managed to do something good here, and that means it's probably time to evaporate into the ether once more for me. We'll be back with a live show next week on Wednesday, May 27th at 8 p.m. You can tune into that at daleradio.com slash live or visit our YouTube channel. We'll have some wonderful and funny guests on, so don't miss it. And now I leave you the way I always do, with a reminder that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Season 12 podcast icon illustrated by Lars Litaro. Deep Night Season 12 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the episode is provided by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Production studio space provided by Harvest Works here in New York City. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or tune in on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thank you for listening, and this season, I encourage you all to leave your portals open. <laughs>